Welcome to Liberating Me Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the love, sex, relationship, and personal growth in the most liberating way possible. A podcast where you can expect candid conversation and truth bombs along the way. Hi guys, welcome back to Liberating Me Podcast, where we talk about the most unconscious things we need to be conscious about in the areas of love, sex, relationship, and personal growth. Today, I want to talk about all things intergenerational trauma or pattern. I was watching the TED Talk of Tabita Kaguri, wherein she said, trauma not transformed will be trauma transferred. It may not begin with us, but it could end with us. Oftentimes, we do not realize that we carry trauma from past generations, from our parents, great-grandparents, and men as as well many others. And we do not notice how it could greatly impact our current relationship, especially the most intimate ones. So today, I want to bring a fellow love, sex, and relationship coach who helps women repair unhealthy patterns in their relationships, which more often than not are intergenerational pain. So welcome, Jerry. Thank you so much for coming in to my podcast. So um, let's just start the conversation right away and just share who you are, where you're from, and what is it that you do? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm Jerry Suta. I'm a love and relationship coach, originally from the UK, but at the moment based in Switzerland, waiting to be able to go back to traveling when when it's possible. <laughs> yes. Um, in COVID times right now and basically the work that I do that I've been doing since I became certified as a coach is that I support women who are both either single or in relationships that they're not quite happy in to uncover and heal any unhealthy relationship patterns that are keeping them stuck so that they can have the love they really want. So I'm curious, what made you decide to work with women to repair the unhealthy pattern in the relationship or within themselves? Yeah, so it started really with my own personal experience, because for years and years, I really struggled with being in dysfunctional relationships. And it was just kind of like, once I started to build a self-awareness around what was going on in my relationships, I realized that there were certain patterns that were repeating themselves over and over again. So I was getting into different relationships, but it was kind of the same person. <laughs> like I was just reliving, okay. you know, kind of like Groundhog Day, just like reliving the same experiences over and over again. And that's when I realized, okay, you know, there's, there's something going on. And I went on this kind of like healing journey where I used to work this like really stressful corporate job where I was getting really burnt out and I quit that and I went traveling and I trained to be a yoga teacher and I did like a lot of personal development but there was just this one area that was really challenging for me to shift and that was my relationship like it seemed like no matter what I did like nothing worked and I then eventually when I was like 27 realized okay maybe I need some outside support (laughs) and Mm -hmm. got got some therapy 
which was really useful. I had therapy for a few years and it was really useful in kind of helping to create the awareness and normalize the patterns and be able to speak out loud with another person, like the things that I had thought that I was alone in experiencing. And Mm -hmm. then I did my coaching certification because I wanted to kind of, I really loved holistic healing modalities as well. I mean, I was a yoga teacher and I didn't want to just go down the traditional therapy route and got into coaching, did my training with Layla Martin and found that that was really supportive in helping me to work on my subconscious to really heal those patterns and not just at a mind level. And mm-hmm. it really worked for me. And I, I got married the other week. So I'm in a really happy relationship. Yes, I'm in a really healthy, relation, beautiful relationship now that honestly, even just a few years ago, I wouldn't have thought would be possible. And that's why I'm so passionate about bringing this work and supporting other women to see, because I think there's this, we have this stigma that it isn't possible to heal those patterns or a lot of the women I work with, they just have this deep, this belief, which I had as well, where I just got kind of resigned at one point of like, okay, well, I'm never going to have a healthy relationship. Like that's not for me because of my past and my experiences. And that's why I'm so passionate about working with other women to support them to see that like, yes, it is possible for them to Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned about pattern. Where do you think those pattern come from? Yeah, so there's a lot of different kind of backgrounds. One of the things that I saw from my own personal experience and a lot of the clients that I work with is that we often inherit, like we inherit those patterns from our family from, you know, the kind of relationship that was modeled to us by parents or by our caregivers. And we also, it does tend to, what I found in my family situation was it did run intergenerationally that all of the women in my family were in very destructive relationships. And it was just sort Mm -hmm. of a pattern that was repeating itself. And I was kind of like, the cycle breaker, if you will, in my kind of lineage of of women, you know, mother, grandmother, going back generations of, and it was also kind of, yeah, inherited in that way. And I don't know if you've kind of heard of the science of epigenetics, which says that we store, we store inherited trauma in our DNA and within our bodies. Mm -hmm. So if our ancestors have experienced certain types of trauma, or patterns that have kept reoccurring that this gets passed down along generations. And this is what was really my experience with what was going on within my relationships and what I've seen with my clients as well. Totally. So the intergenerational pattern, basically, um, if we define it as something that we inherited from our ancestors and passed down to generation after generation. Yeah. So I'm curious, in your own life, have you noticed any specific intergenerational pain that really prevented you from having the relationship that you want? Yeah, I think for me, when I was growing up, I lived in a in a society, in a kind of region in the UK, which is like the northeast of the UK, where 
domestic violence was kind of normalized and where it was just seen as like that that's the experience that you have as a woman in a relationship and kind of growing up there were those types of incidences within my family and it was just all kind of normalized and it was kind of I received the message from really young onwards that that was just part of being in a relationship so experiencing kind of yeah dysfunctionalities within a relationship abuse or violence that that was normal and for me growing up between my parents there who eventually got divorced there was a lot of arguing there was a lot of kind of like there weren't really I didn't have any role models or any kind of people that I could look to within you know my close sphere of family that were modeling healthy relationships and so I kind of grew up thinking well this is just normal this is just the way it is and from very early on from being like in my early teens the first few relationships I got into were physically abusive and then later on in my early 20s emotionally abusive relationships and after having had kind of like conversations with my mum about her experiences and like my grandmother's experiences and even great grandmother's experiences finding that this had been a pattern within within our lineage, not only kind of like at a family level, but that it was also going as deep as like as a societal level that in our region where we came from, that this was just a normal part of society, that it was seen as normalized. So even if you shared with someone in your family, oh, my partner's being violent with me or something, it was just like, well, that's just part, you know, that's just the way it is. And <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And then that gets kind of passed down. And like, you know, talking about the intergenerational piece, you have children and then that gets passed down to them. And then those belief systems and those kind of patterns get passed down because when we're growing up, we only have our parents to learn from when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because looking back in my own experience, I've come to recognize that both of my great grandparents don't have any education. Mm -hmm. And then my mother, my mother and my grandmother, they do both have education, but they are always told to stay small, mm -hmm. not have a voice and not speak your truth. And for my generation, it's quite shocking to my family growing up in the Philippines, being raised in a Catholic Christian country. Like I was in, in a Catholic school, all girls Catholic school from elementary to high school. And now I've become this love, sex and relationship coach. Even if I shared it to my mom, like my mom dismissed the idea that I'm this woman of just so loud speaking my truth because they get so uncomfortable because we're so used to just put our heads down, continue doing the work and not be and not celebrate the work that we're doing because we're trained generations after generation to stay humble. Like being small is like being noble at, at one point in our culture. And so that's really interesting. So along the way of like having those conversations with your mother, recognizing the patterns that you have, how did you what is like the breaking point of identifying those unhealthy patterns and what steps did you take to kind of like work on them or heal them? 
Yeah, so for me, I guess like the rock bottom, if you want to call it that, is when I got into, I'd been in like a series of very destructive relationships from the very first relationship I had as a teenager up until my sort of late 20s. And I was in one particular relationship for four years, with which was very dysfunctional on both sides. Like I was, I have equal share in what went on in that relationship and just like emotionally abusive and just really, you know, I don't really like to kind of like use the term toxic, but I guess what our society would term, you know, kind of toxic, dysfunctional relationship. And it got to the point where this relationship was impacting me so much that it impacted my work. Like I couldn't concentrate at work. Like I lost friends. It caused a lot of problems with my family as well because they were just obviously, you know, concerned about me being in this relationship. And it was health-wise as well. I was kind of, I was already burning out at work and the job that I was in and this on top of it. And I didn't have any healthy coping mechanisms. So I was using drugs and alcohol and just kind of like, ways to cope with the pain of being in this relationship and what I later learned when I kind of went through therapy and you know did a lot of self-discovery is that what I had with this person was a trauma bond so we were bonding over like kind of we were each trying to repair subconsciously each other's trauma in in a way that wasn't working at all that was actually making us spiral even more and more back into our trauma. And so this went on for a really long time until the point where I went to Australia and I traveled around there for 18 months on my own. And that was kind of like, you know, my stereotypical cliche, like soul searching journey. And even through, and I just remember even through this incredible journey, which I was so you know, which I'd worked so hard for, like I'd went straight from school to work, like I'd never went to university, it was just kind of straight from school to work, worked until I was like 27. And then it was like, okay, I now have this incredible opportunity and privilege to go on this trip and kind of just travel and be free. And I couldn't enjoy it. Like, because I was constantly engaging in like text message battles and arguments by email, like with this person still, even though he was like on the other side of the world. And, you know, the trip was incredible in many ways, but I think having that dynamic was, it's not as, it did kind of, I remember like being on this beautiful beach and just not being able to enjoy it because I was so distracted. And then kind of the rock bottom point was when my mum had a heart attack and I had to go back to to Switzerland to visit her and she made sure she was okay and everything. And I couldn't even give her like my full presence. Like I couldn't even give her my full focus because I was so distracted and I had so much, and this, this person and this relationship dynamic just took up all of my energy. And so then I was like, I remember like kind of sitting on the, on the couch and being like, okay, I think I need some help. Like this, if this continues, like I don't like even, I couldn't even conceptualize in my mind, like what, what is my life going to be if this continues? Like Mm -hmm. it's just not good. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And because like the substance reliance that I had was like escalating as well. And I was just doing a lot of self-destructive like things that were putting me 
in danger and just really not taking care of myself. And so that's when I was like, okay, got on my phone. Okay, therapy. That was the first thing that popped into my head, which I'd had resistance to for years because I was like, oh, if I get therapy, it means I'm broken or like whatever. So no, therapy is not for me. Like I'm not crazy. And like all these kind of like beliefs. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I booked a therapy session for when I was going to be going back to Australia with a therapist that specialized in relationships and in trauma. And I also looked up Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And when I was in Australia, I started going to meetings there, which was actually really helpful, even though I stopped it after a while because you had to kind of keep identifying as that person with those challenges, which I don't identify as anymore. But in the beginning, it was so helpful because in, I always thought I was alone in this. So I kind of thought, you know, everyone mm-hmm. else just has an easy life and relationships and I'm the only one who struggles. And to be like in a room full of people who got it and were going through the same experiences was really healing and validating. And then through having those conversations and the insights I received through therapy, I was like, okay, you know, I understand what's happening now. Like I understand where my behaviors are coming from and I understand why I'm attracted to this specific type of person and why I keep repeating these patterns over and over again. So for me, the real kind of turning point was getting the outside support because I was so in it that I didn't have an outside perspective of what was going on so I kind of needed the outside support to point out to me to be like I remember the therapist saying to me at some point like what are you going to do like do you want to continue another four because I'd already been with this person in a relationship for four years she was like do you want to continue another four years or like 10 years or 15 years or like the rest of your life and that was really like when she said that my heart just sank because I was like no way <laughs> like I can't do it yeah I'll, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to end well and that's when I was kind of like okay I want to support myself to be able to heal so that I can have the healthy relationships that I want even though at the time I didn't think it was possible for me well that's a really good point that being able to be surrounded by people with a similar experience is just so validating knowing that you're not being crazy, that you're just going on a loop with this so much pain and trauma. It's like you're not alone. I remember in my own experience, I'm already a life coach prior to meeting my husband. But then I just don't understand the dynamic of just so much drama, so much just enter- tension and energy it's like a love-hate relationship in the first two years and when I finally invited him to go to the Philippines to meet my world like where I grew up my friends I panic because I asked myself if I'm going to introduce this man really into my life does that mean he will be a part of it for the rest of my life and if so holy shit do I want that I mean are, are we equipped to be that like couple and so that's when I also that what triggered me to start going therapy and like looking for resources about like I end up finding uh like you Leila Martin I did um first her jade egg pleasure because I don't understand I have all the tools like to get a man but I don't have the tools to maintain a relationship which is a different ball game altogether yeah. Yeah. and 
And now that um, you've gone all this 360 degree type of shift in your life, how did healing those patterns, unhealthy patterns, change the way you are in the relationship? Yeah, so I think it really, because I had sort of began my healing before I met my now husband, it was kind of like when I met him, I already had kind of like the the tools, the strategies of like, okay, I have an idea now of what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. And I get to practice this now in dating. So I always say to my clients, like dating is kind of like the training ground, right? Because like, you're in this, you're in this kind of like practice of like, okay, like I've been learning how to set boundaries and I've been learning how to communicate and I've been learning to like, you know, assert my needs and like be really clear on what I want and like not be afraid to say that I want a relationship and be really confident with that and do all of those things. And I was kind of like practicing that in dating, which was really, really scary in the beginning because it was so unfamiliar but then when I met my husband, like I was, I did things which I guess conventionally or like our society would say, oh no, you're going to like chase the man away if you do that. But I was like, I don't care. Like I'm here for like the real, you know, the real deal. Like I'm not, I don't have time to like mess around. Like I've done enough with that. And like, I remember on our, I think after our first couple of dates, I was like, yeah, I want to get married in the near future. And was just like really clear about what I wanted and was clear about, you know, I desire a monogamous relationship and these are kind of like my values in a relationship. This is what is important to me, honesty and integrity. And like, and we had those types of conversations over a few months and kind of like getting to know each other better before we even got sort of romantically involved or before the relationship like progressed to the next level, I guess. And that was really new for me because in the past, all of my relationships had been based on chemistry and then the chemistry mm -hmm. is not even real. So it's kind of like, you know, that physical thing, which is, oh, you know, I see someone, I'm really attracted to them. If they're attracted to me too, okay, let's go a week later, we're in a relationship, even though we know nothing about each other. And then I get two years down the line and I'm like, I don't even like this person. Like, I wouldn't even want them as a friend. Like, I don't even, like, who is this person even? Like, I don't want anything to do with them. And so when I met my husband, I just kind of just made the conscious decision. I'm going to do things really differently to what I have in the past because things in the past didn't work. <laughs> so they really drastically did not work out at all. So I just kind of like, and I did do those experiments with other men where it really didn't work out at all where like I set boundaries and they didn't like it and that was like scary as well where I was like oh is it not okay to set boundaries maybe I shouldn't do it like where it was kind of like I had to keep reminding myself of why I was doing it and that I deserved to it was okay to have boundaries and that it meant more about them than it did about me if they weren't okay with me setting boundaries so it just kind of allowed me to really recognize red flags much quicker and to really be able to embody my worth in dating and realizing that, you know, if this person ghosts me or I don't hear back from them or whatever, great. 
like thank you for showing me that you are not a suitable partner for me <laughs> because this is not what kind of communication I want so that was those were kind of like the shifts that happened in in my dating life well it's similar to, to those things about setting boundaries I didn't know when I was dating my husband he was still in a player player self and I just finished watching a lot of I don't know if you've heard it he's he's a he's a guy from the states called Steve Harvey I don't know if you've heard about him but basically he just gets random advices and he has his book was made into a movie like act like a lady think like a man I was watching a lot of his stuff at that time. And so when I met my husband, I didn't realize it was me setting boundaries because I told him, like, if you want to be with me, if you want to date me, you need to learn how to walk beside me, not ahead of me. You need to learn how to open doors for me. I don't care what door. You just got to open that goddamn door. It's like, I'm going to train this guy. And then I think the one of the monumental moment in our in beginning of our relationship, he said he doesn't want to have kids. And I said, you know what? Like, I really genuinely do want to have kids. It doesn't have to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And so if you don't want to have kids, I'm completely fine with it. But we can't be together. Like, let's stop wasting our time if we're not going to be on the same page. And then I think giving that up front, like in the early months of our relationship, kind of like set the tone for him that, okay, do I want to have kids or do I really want to be this person and just the kids is like great. And another thing is that he doesn't really believe in marriage. That's another thing. He doesn't believe with the idea that, because I told him I'm only going to move in with him if we're married and then, or at least put a ring on my finger before asking me to move in with you. And he said something interesting about, I was never raised to be with a woman, to marry a woman I've never lived with. And I mm. respond back and said, well, I was not raised with a man to live with a man who doesn't know how to seal the deal, like who doesn't have the balls to be honest and, you know, to be in a commitment by putting a ring on my finger. So you either you take it or you don't. And our middle compromise, like I think that's as compromise is that he proposed and then I left to do my own self-work and came back and finally move in with him. And then a year later, we got married. And I think it's just really foundational that if you're, and you can still be playful and explorative while setting boundaries, like you're right. Like dating is like the training ground for learning about yourself, being able to put out what works and what doesn't work for you. And so I'm just going to shift gears a little bit here. How would a person identify if they have an unhealthy pattern that prevents them in having the relationship that they want? I think the, from my experience and what I see with the clients I work with, the way that I identified the patterns is when I was realizing, you know, it sounds like so simplistic, but it's true. It was like, okay, I'm ending up in all these, mutually destructive relationships and yes the partners that I was with were like not okay and they were behaving in ways that were not acceptable and also the common denominator in all of those relationships was me so like I was the one that was in all of those relationships and it's kind of when I realized 
you know, at the end of the day, I can't change them. Like as much as I wanted to change mm-hmm. those people, like I couldn't change them, even though I tried really hard, like I couldn't change them. And I sort of realized that I can change myself. I can change myself mm-hmm. and not in a, you know, not from a space, which later on as I developed in the beginning, it came from a space of not enough. Well, you know, I'm not enough to be in a healthy relationship with someone or like, I've got so much trauma that no one will ever want to be in a relationship with me and like all of those things. And then that kind of shifted into like, well, why not me? Like, even though like I've experienced trauma, like I still deserve to have a healthy relationship and kind of like all of that required a lot, you know, of like the inner work and having the support around me. And the way I identified those patterns is just by really seeing you know, doing a lot of self introspection. And I actually, one of the kind of like, I guess, like steps that practices when you're in sex and love addicts anonymous is they get you to write down like all of your past relationships and like all of the things that you did where you harmed like those partners or where you harmed Mm -hmm. people around you. And that was like, it was hard. Like that was, that was hard work because I was really confronted with you know, okay, these partners did like things that were not okay. But like, I did a lot of things that were not okay, too. And then I noticed like my particular patterns really centered around, I had this like deep seated fear of abandonment. So it was like with like text messages, if I didn't hear back from someone within like a few hours, like I would panic. And, you know, I would be like, messaging them a million times and then like calling them or like another pattern I had which I've kind of like which is very different with my partner now like if we have a disagreement and he needs space then I'm able to give him that space because that's healthy as well but in the past one of my patterns was it was completely impossible for me in an argument to give someone space because I was so terrified of them leaving that I had to do everything to repair it And so even I couldn't respect their boundaries. So even if they would say, you know, listen, I need a day or like a few hours or like a week, like I couldn't respect those boundaries. Like I would be like, I don't care. Like, because it was so, it was so, it felt like that was one of the things of why it resonated for me in the beginning to see it as an addiction, which I don't anymore. But in the beginning, it was helpful because it was like, I'm not in control of this behavior. Like I would just pick up my Mm -hmm. phone and the drive and the urge would be so strong that like I couldn't stop it. And that's when I really kind of like started to pinpoint a lot of the patterns that I was displaying in my relationships were out of fear of abandonment. So then when I came to Mm -hmm. realize, okay, I'm not just texting him a million times because I'm a crazy person, but like I'm texting him, which is what he says, but like I'm texting him a million times because of my past experiences in childhood and the traumas that I experienced and going back to like the intergenerational patterns of women in my family being left when they were very vulnerable and kind of like that was so, that fear was so deep seated in me that I would do anything. And it's kind of some of the work I do with my client is like identifying that core wound that you have, that you'll do anything Mm -hmm. to avoid happening. And so I was like in that space of like, I will do anything to avoid being abandoned. 
Like, even if it's someone who's not even someone who's a healthy partner, I just don't want them to leave me. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is when you said you don't even know how to respect your boundaries when there is a disagreement and they need space. Because a lot of women would say, if you leave this conversation, this room, and we're not okay, it means you don't care. Mm, Like, I've always been hearing that, like, we need to fix this right now. And there's always this myth that never go to bed upset with each other. When in reality, that is just so unhealthy because you try to fix something when you're not ready to confront it because you're not in that emotional headspace to be clear and objective about the matter. And now two people are so heightened with emotions trying to figure out how are we going to solve this when they don't even have the solving brain Mm -hmm. up handy because they're like tension, like their tension, their survival brain is activated. So that's really a good point. I never really recognized to frame it that way that it's not about me and my needs. It's also about respecting that other person's boundaries and how am I really not helping that person? How am I being harmful to that person? So that's a really good um, insight that I've kind of picked up. And I'm curious as we wrap up this conversation, what what would you recommend to people, not just women, but I'm pretty sure also men would be able to relate to this is that how would they identify um, if they're experiencing an intergenerational pattern and impacting their current relationship? How would they identify that? So one of the things that was really helpful for me, and I know this isn't possible for everyone because not everyone has those kind of relationships with their family. But for me, I do have a very open relationship with my mom where we are able to have those kind of conversations and where I was able to to ask her and be like, you know, as I got older, you know, like I saw these very destructive patterns in your past relationships, like, where did that come from? Or why do you think that happened? Or why, you know, kind of understanding what her patterns were in her relationship with my dad and the relationship with other partners. And then she would also tell me, and I think this is where we've kind of a little bit like lost the art sadly, of like storytelling within families, because that's such an important part of understanding your past. So like my mom would tell me stories about my grandmother and like her kind of relationships and the experiences that she had. And then obviously there were the things that I witnessed as a child where I was like, okay, this is definitely a pattern. Like this keeps happening over and over again, or that I kind of saw around me that were quite common And that I was then able to recognize in myself. So even if you're not able to have those conversations with family members, you can also kind of like look and see, okay, for example, like this pattern that I have in my relationships, let's take like the example of abandonment. Like, why might this be showing up? Like when I, like my example earlier, well, you know, a lot of the women in my family got left by their partners when they were, they were at their most vulnerable. And so I witnessed that and I saw that and that became a fear for me as I was growing up. And that's why I had this kind of like drive to sort of like hang on to my partners or like not want them to leave subconsciously to like protect myself and keep myself safe. And when I was able to kind of like 
sort of like connect like all of the dots. You know, it didn't fix everything, but what it did do is it gave me a, a sense of like, because my thing that I was carrying around was like, I'm broken or there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. or like, you know, I'm not like fixable or like, why is this happening to me? And then the conversation I was having with myself internally became more around, well, of course you don't know how to have a healthy relationship. Like it was never modeled to you. And this, and I'm not going into, because I see this a lot as well, where it kind of, and it also makes sense, like kind of going into the blame sort of conversation. Oh, well, it's my parents' fault that I'm like this or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you know, parents mostly, not all, but like most of them are doing the best that they could and like I know that my mom was doing the best that she could my dad was doing the best that he could and they also didn't have models for healthy relationships growing up from their parents or going even further back so it's kind of like everyone's doing the best that they could and I was also doing the best that I could but as an adult then my responsibility is to learn to sort of tend to my inner child and kind of like understand mm-hmm. and recognize and have the self-awareness of, oh, this is some, you know, deep-seated past like stuff that is coming up. This doesn't have to do with anything that is happening right now in the present moment. So I think having those conversations and looking back, and I know a lot of people have like the fear of, you know, like going back to the past and like digging up all of that old stuff and it can be really scary and it does take a lot of courage but for me it was really insightful and you know like I didn't have to like stay there forever it was just like okay this is useful information to have because for my kind of like analytical mind like it needed to make sense and it supported me to kind Mm -hmm. of like feel okay this isn't my fault so it's not not like blame my parents, but not blame myself either. And kind of like understand and also have the compassion, you know, that conversation, these conversations I had with my mom, for example, are incredibly healing because I get to understand her kind of like journey and her thought process and like her patterns and kind of also how we've developed. We were like talking about culture earlier and a conversation I had with my mom recently was like, you know, she was saying when she was like my age or like in her 20s, like feminism didn't exist. <laughs> like you didn't, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a common concept. It was like the idea that women had e- equal rights was just like not even a thing. So it was kind of like, so like having those conversations with women from different generations within my family and also outside of it is really insightful because it helps me to kind of see okay this is where like all of these patterns come from not only from our families but from our societies and our cultures and more widely the patriarchy that we you know this is yeah we all live in and we operate in and we're all influenced by that and kind of like we're all viewing things through that lens so it takes a lot of deconditioning and kind of like deconstructing all of those belief systems that we've inherited the biggest takeaway from what you've shared is the storytelling piece because now in my own experience I used to be so angry with my mother I don't know why I I I think at one point growing up I felt betrayed and I kind of like hold on to that betrayal for so long but the moment I start shifting gears and 
asking questions about her experience in a more curious way rather than in a more judgmental way, the less I became angry because now I kind of like understand where is she really operating from? Like from what upbringing, resources, tools she is operating from. And it's not really necessarily her fault that she's responding the way she responds based on her own experience or resources at that time. So I think storytelling is really important within the family because it allows the person who's struggling to create compassion more for themselves, you know, understand, you know what you mentioned, like blame, am I blaming myself? I'm never going to be good enough rather than, you know what, this is what's happening. It's because of the past, but it doesn't mean going forward. This is who I'll be. Right. Yeah. And so that's a really important narrative uh, that I've kind of picked up of what you've shared. And lastly, Jerry, thank you so much for sharing the wealth of information (laughs) that you have shared. But if someone wants to find you, wants to work with you or learn more about you, where would they find you? Yeah. So I have a website, which is my name, jerrysuter.com, with all of the information about my offerings. I'm also over on Instagram at the Jerry Suter, and I have a free private Facebook group, the Conscious Intimacy Club, where I go live every week and do free coaching, which is a really incredible space to be in. So those are all of the spaces people can find me. Wow. Thank you so much, Jerry, for coming into the show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to click the follow button and remember to share this to your friends and maybe that would spark a healing conversation among familiar people in your lives. I'll be adding Jerry's information down below, so be sure to check her out. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Francis, and until next time.